Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. All right, welcome back, Solar Warrior. Welcome to another Tactical Tuesday. These are short form conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tips, tools, and advice for building your solar business or career. Maybe you, in fact, are not even in this solar business and you're looking to transition from somewhere else in the energy or high tech industry. Welcome. You are welcome here. And I'm so glad that you have decided to join us and level up your game. Remember, you can find tons of resources and learn more about today's guests and recommendations over at mysuncast.com, where we've got over 350 leaders, founders, entrepreneurs, and executives just like today's guest. And I encourage you to dig in over there. Today, we are going to feature a friend of mine, Amanda Rico. And Amanda is, apart from being an expert in the field of technical writing and resume writing, she runs Rico Editorial Services and specializes in helping folks in the energy sector level up and find the career they love. She's also a mentor in our own coaching programs, helping folks do exactly that. So if you have been wondering how to level up your LinkedIn or resume game, you want to stay tuned. Get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful Tactical Tuesday here on Suncast. Amanda, I am so stoked to have you on Suncast today. Welcome, and I look forward to digging into how you add a ton of value for our Solar Warriors today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Nico. It's great to be on. Yeah, it's great to be connected with someone as connected as you are and so deeply knowledgeable about the the world that we often get asked about here at Suncast. And I know a ton of our friends are constantly bombarded with questions that are right in your wheelhouse. A hat tip to our mutual friend and Canadian solar warrior, Brian Scott, who connected us. Thank you, Brian, for suggesting that Amanda and I connect. Amanda and I were on a panel for those who maybe missed it back in September of 2020. We did a panel with Brian, maybe it was October, it was October, call, uh, for Clean Energy Revolution, which is a community that Brian started back in 2020 as his LinkedIn uh, presence sort of began to meteorically rise. And I was super impressed with you, Amanda, for on a number of fronts, but not the least of which was the reason that Brian had suggested you join us for the panel is that your understanding of the energy sector and what folks are encountering, what they're struggling with as they try to think about career transition. As I was thinking about jumping in with you today to this topic, something just sits at the forefront of my mind. You know, I was recently asked to consider a board position and they asked me for something that for me is a bit of a relic. <laughs> they asked for a resume. And I thought, I, immediate, I immediately said to them, Amanda, well, I've, here's my LinkedIn. And they were like, no, send right. us your resume. We're, we're like <laughs> reviewing resumes. Can you help maybe clarify the, why, the, why there's even still a need for a resume in a world where LinkedIn should, in my, in my view, suffice? Yeah, definitely, Nico. I mean, this is a question that I get a lot, actually. You know, I have consultations Monday through Friday, three a day, and I get this question on the daily. It is, you know, I've never had to have a resume before. I've just known people. People have, you know, kind of pushed jobs my way. Recruiters have sought me out. The truth is that the resume is still alive and well, and it's kicking, especially in 2020 and in the wake of 2020, where we are right now, it's especially relevant because you still got to apply for jobs online, right? There are still opportunities for people to, you know, being applying to jobs online, having to go through things like applicant tracking systems, of which there are hundreds of applicant tracking systems. So, you know, these tracking systems in general, they read text, they read text. So they read TXT format best. And so having an actual document is what they expect. You know, apart from that, the LinkedIn profile is extremely powerful and has its own set of algorithms uh, to read your content. 
but it's not necessarily a targeted document, right? So whenever you apply to different jobs, you're going to tailor that document based off of the role. Now your LinkedIn may or may not be completely targeted to that role. So the distinction is that if you're applying, you know, for instance, for a board seat, your LinkedIn may not necessarily be completely aligned for that specific target. It may be aligned for you as the Suncast owner, right? As a company owner, not necessarily as a board leader. So the resume allows you to brand yourself however you need to for each particular opportunity. And it's just, you know, it's putting that, allowing that hammer to nail you in where you want uh, to be. Uh, and, and I just want to reiterate, for those who maybe skip the intro, Amanda is a resume, a technical writing expert. This is what she does. As she said, three consultations a day. She spends time helping folks dial in their resumes. So Amanda, how much time should I expect to spend if it's been 10 years since I touched my resume? How much time should I expect to spend updating it? And then, and, and then, so that's one, it's like level set, let's update this thing. How much time of a, of, how much investment am I looking at? And then after that, each new job that comes along, what's the maintenance requirement for me on a re- from a resume perspective? And how often right. should I be doing that? Yeah, well, Nico, this is usually why people end up hiring me is <laughs> because it takes me, someone who's been doing this for over 14 years, uh, roughly eight hours on average to Whoa. rebuild a resume. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. What an eight investment hours. of time. Yep. It is a serious investment of time. Um, so because a, you have considering, to... Considering you charge like $1,000 an hour, that is no small <laughs> fee. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a lot of time. And, you know, there's a reason why having the, the doctorate in English helps is that you have to do so much editing, redrafting, cutting, rebuilding, but all with one thing in mind, all with your target in mind. So you're not just building a document out of nothing so that it fits every single thing you have done or want to do. It has to be extremely targeted as much as possible. And this is why I always suggest to people who want to work with me, I tell them, I can't build you something unless you have a goal in mind. Yeah. Begin with the end in mind, Dale Carnegie. Yep. You want to reverse engineer that. So you want to be thinking about what you know your ultimate goal is. So you know if your ultimate goal is to be a business analyst, then we need to rebuild your resume based off of every single detail aligning with a business analysis focus in mind. And you know once you have that template, fifteen to thirty minutes to revise it each time. That's good. That's good. A half hour to update it. So I typically, in my mind, I think to myself, oh, I could probably rewrite my resume in an hour and I can modify it for in five minutes. Won't be very good. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love it. So but begin with the end in mind. You know, one of the things that a lot of folks have told me they get value from uh, working with you and, and folks like you is not only the really granular understanding of the English language and how to craft it, but uh, I presume you bring that template mindset of thinking in blocks and chunks. How do you advise someone who maybe doesn't have the time or resources to hire you to go about reconstructing that narrative in blocks or chunks? Is there a certain flow that has become the the norm for 2021? So it all depends, again, all depends on someone's target and what they are already working with. So if somebody already has, you know, if they want, they want to keep going on a business analyst position and they already have tons of experience being a business analyst, that's going to cut down your time significantly, right? But if someone's a career changer, you know, if you're going from operations management to data analysis or something, then, then we got we to gotta take some time and break it down to think about basically lining up exactly what you've done so far that aligns with that new target. So you have to rethink everything that you've done so that you get it out of your head, you're thinking outside the box, get it out of your head that you are defined as an operations manager. Now you need to define yourself as a data analyst. And what does that look like? What did you do in each role that aligns with that? And then you you build it up, right? You build out your summary, you build out your skills, you build out your work experience, your accomplishments, all those different things have to align with that target. So everyone has a different style for doing that based off of their own comfort level and how quickly they're able to process what they've done and rethink what they've done. But I generally suggest going through the work experience first, because that's the nitty gritty. That's when you're going to figure out, it's going to start to click what you're actually good at. And then you can effectively write your summary, your accomplishments, and then what skills you're really good at. 
you mentioned career change and one of our past guests, I harp on it a lot. He says, look, the best piece of advice I ever got was if you're going to change something about your career, only change one thing. So he came out of finance and he was a financial analyst uh, and wanted to go into renewables. And so instead of becoming a project developer in solar, he became a financial analyst at a project development firm. And over time, now he runs a, an investment fund specifically investing in project development because he learned the game so well. Similar to that, anecdotally, you know, you mentioned career change. I'd love to know if you have any advice specific to our audience, which is mostly folks that are looking at a career change in the energy or high tech sector. And they're thinking about clean energy as an avenue. Yeah, this is a big question. It's a question I get all the time. The difficulty with talking about changing careers is that I have so many people tell me that, oh, it'll just be a parallel move, just a sidestep. No, it is not just a sidestep. <laughs> uh, like, like any career change, it takes hustle and it takes researching, reaching out and repeating that process over and over again. It takes a ton of hustle to make sure that whenever you hit an interview, that you're not defining yourself by that same industry you've been in, because that's going to be one of the first questions people receive. And I hear this constantly is that, well, I got into the interview and I just said, well, you know, I've been doing X for, for 15 years and I know that I can do Y. <laughs> okay. But how, how do you know that? Have you done research into it? What are the details? What accomplish accomplishments do you have that would support you claim, you know, claiming that. Uh, so I think that what I see is a fundamental lack of research at the back end for people looking to career change. I see a lot of people who are either desperate looking to career change because they weren't expecting to be released, uh, which is completely understandable, or people who are thinking that it's just a sidestep. And they're, so they're not putting the proper amount of energy and time into researching the new industry. So whenever they they may get through the resume stage, but when they hit the interview stage, they don't have a 30-second pitch prepared. They're, they're not prepared to answer the tough questions about career changing, and it ends up you know, kind of shooting them in the foot. And that would be one of the main, I think, pain points that I'm seeing quite a bit with people who are trying to career change at the moment. You, you mentioned something that I think is a, a, one of those nebulous unknown things out there that we it's easy for you and I to have like maybe a million examples. And so we use a, a broad term to try and not be hyper specific. But I'm going to ask you for some specificity here. You said people unprepared to answer the tough questions about career change. Give me a couple of examples of those questions and how to prepare for them. Yeah. Why do you want to change careers? Why are you wanting, this is one I hear all the time. Why do you want to get out of oil and gas? Why? Why do you want to shift to renewables? This is the number one question. So I think that another tough question is, you know, what's some of your biggest challenges that you've overcome or what's your greatest weakness? I mean, these are very standard questions that people will get. But I think that in terms of turning those to your advantage, keeping in mind what your ultimate goal is right? You want to be in renewables and you want X job position. That is your goal. That is your thesis. Right? If I can be like an English nerd, your thesis is to obtain, you know, or prove really, prove that you are the perfect candidate for X role in Y industry. Okay. So every single answer that you give, no matter how difficult or no matter how weird or challenging has to go back to supporting that. So I always tell people that I work with, you know, I don't do interview prep, right? I work with people who do interview prep, but I've learned over the years, you know, doing this for 14 years, what works and what doesn't, specifically in the energy industry. And there's a sense in which understanding different cultures uh, when you're shifting out of industries can be really challenging. So doing a lot of informational interviews can be helpful. I hear this a lot between oil and gas and, and, uh, and clean energy is that, the cultures are very, very different. There is a very blunt, very direct, very, you know, kind of assertive mentality sometimes in the oil and gas industry. And that doesn't always work very well whenever you're shifting to other industries, especially clean energy. So there's so many different layers to the interview, you know, to really landing an interview uh, whenever you're switching industries that goes beyond just answering tough questions. And it actually goes to the core of why you want to switch and how much research have you done? How much 
outreach have you done <laughs> to figure out what it would look like to be in that role and if you'd even be the right fit for it, right? So doing all that research on the back end and knowing fundamentally, instead of having prepared answers, knowing fundamentally why you're the best fit for it is the best way to go into tough interview questions. Because if you know at your core, you've done all the research and you've talked to tons of people and you know the industry, that's just going to shine. And that's the kind of candidate people want to hire is someone who can have a conversation in an interview rather than having canned answers that they can tell or prepared. I love that you're touching on all this stuff because, you know, for those who don't, aren't, you know, they're not aware maybe of our program or even of our, of our relationship, uh, you know, you and I haven't spent a ton of time talking about uh, the integration overall of your work and our overall coaching program. But these things are things that are, are fundamentals that a lot of folks overlook. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad just that the synergy of our work, you know, we help folks put together uh, a very simple 60 second pitch video right? That you can easily send to someone that, that puts them at ease. It shows them who you are. It gives them a sense of your personality and it gets to the heart of that 30 second pitch. Like you said, to get through those unprepared um, questions from the very beginning, it sets the right pace and the right tone. Uh, one of the things that I don't think we've done a great job of, and this is where I hope that you'll help us with our program is helping answer that question of exactly why you want a career change, not, not where your skills are, but why, like backing up a step and saying, why begin with the end in mind, um, you know, going back to Dale Carnegie and how to turn those goals into advantages. Uh, I love that you said stick to, you know, every answer you give, no matter how weird or challenging it supports your thesis of why you want this role. And it doesn't matter candidly. And this is what I tell um, candidates, it doesn't matter the company. Every company is an opportunity to refine your message. Every conversation, informational or real interview, is an opportunity for you to refine your message. Just, I'm in sales just like you. So every time I talk to a prospective client, I'm not hung up on whether or not that client buys. I am specifically testing whether I am whether my message resonates. And I feel like so many folks get hung up on hooking that fish rather than, as Seth Godin says, like getting used to casting the fly. No, I completely agree. And I think that that's the difference between someone who's successful in interviewing or sales or whatever the case may be, because it's authentic, right? Whenever you talk to someone, it's you don't have a gimmick behind it. People can see through that immediately in interviews. They've already interviewed 20 people before you. And they, know <laughs> they tell if you're desperate. They know if you're desperate. They see it in your eyes. They can feel it in your stance. And some of that is is what's so tough about this particular point in moment in time is that a lot of people are very desperate. And that doesn't mean that they're not a good candidate. <laughs> uh, it just means that, the you know, like with anything, the more that you prep, the more that you learn, and the more that you reach out and have connections who can work for you that you can leverage in certain situations, that's what's going to give you the confidence. It's going to make you feel less concerned, but you have to put that work in on the back end rather than just spraying and praying your resume out to 400 different, you know, on 400 different applications. I just talked to someone this morning who told me that. And I just, I, I told him, I was like, stop it. Stop doing that. You are wasting your time. But this is so common. People see this as part of the job. That is their main job search strategy. And we teach uh, the, what I call the side door networking method. And I can tell you every single person in our first program, our first cohort, got hired and they all got hired through in some way. And I can't do this with every single client, but on some level, they got hired either through direct coaching on our part of, okay, you've gotten to the offer level. Now let's help you sink that hook and reel this one in or through a personal introduction through my network personally, or through someone I know that got them into an executive level position. A lot of folks, and this is one, my, I'll, I'll share one key hack here. A lot of folks are like, oh, if I could just talk to the hiring manager, forget talking to the hiring manager. My role as coach is to help you talk to the person the hiring manager is trying to tick a box for, right? So let's say the hiring manager is the director and they report to the CEO. I want my candidate to be able to get visibility at the CEO level and through me as an influencer, have the CEO say to the hiring manager, hey, here's another candidate for that job search you have. You immediately get to the top of the resume stack doing that. 
One of the things that matters the most when you get into the interview, and you mentioned it's transferable skills, do you bring to the table for your for your clients some sort of a worksheet? Talk to me about how you help work out transferable skills. Yeah. So usually what I do is I assess what they already have, right? So our initial consultation, the conversation that we have is me being very direct and honest about asking, hey, so have you sent this out? Have you gotten any traction? Okay, no traction. Okay, what is your, <laughs> it's always no traction. <laughs> uh, what is your your ultimate goal, your career goal? And if they tell me they're a career changer, then I just start hacking it out. I just start kind of lining up why they're not getting traction with their current resume and having a conversation with them about what it would look like to think of their skills outside of the box, right? So, so for instance, I worked with a, a lawyer um, this week who specializes in unitization program development. Unitization doesn't make sense to anyone outside of the oil and gas space because it has to do with lease consolidation and, you know, surface agreements and things like that. So land development primarily. But I had to do research, right, on my end, look up what the terminology means to make sure that whenever I was writing a resume for him, that the phrasing made sense to someone outside. If this has to do with a real estate hiring manager, or something like that, what are they going to want to hear? What's going to make sense to them? Because this person obviously has tons of accomplishments and skills. You know, they've, you know, led committee hearings and and all these different things, all the things that uh, a hiring manager outside of the industry would want to see and would be impressed with. But you just, you have to think about from that other person's point of view, what is going to make sense to them? And then look at job descriptions like their blueprints. They're literally telling you what they want. How do you phrase it? How do you line it up? So in that example of the unitization manager, and you just gave me a genius idea here, and I want to work with you on this, is to create a cheat sheet of like, this means that. How do you translate unitization manager to something that's relevant for clean energy? Yeah, so let's workshop it, right? Because I'm not necessarily the the expert on clean energy terms. So you tell me, Nico. Fantastic. Let's work on it together. You tell me what this guy or girl does, and I'll try to help translate it into clean energy terms. Sure. So he specializes in developing programs, in-house programs in land and legal departments, building unitization programs. So he goes through, he is consolidating leases, you know, making sure that people can operate on uh, on specific tracts of land, primarily in the Marcellus and Utica shales. Uh, so Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, uh, these types of regions. And the legal work is simply making sure the documentation is properly organized so that these leases are, are, are in effect, so that they're legal. Uh, correct. Right? So, yeah. Okay. Because you have to get operating permits and compliance and things like that. Compliance. Okay. A lot of compliance. Due diligence. So... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in the in the clean energy world, there are uh, there are developer pro- roles on so on the developer. You would work at a project development shop like Above Grid or Apex Clean Energy or or Tribe uh, Sun Tribe. Some of these big uh, you know some of these big Cypress renewables, and you would work with. Uh, I'm not sure what the exact role is. I can think of a handful of people that have this role. Is again where I would say I would email someone and say, yeah. Hey, can you? phone with this guy but uh, but your job would be compliance your job would be to ensure that as the developers are getting paperwork together that it's compliant with your corporate mandates for uh you sort of this organizational role or rule like this structure of rules of how to put a project together you got to have these five documents you got to have this duration of contract you got to have make sure that you have the land rights and that you have the underland rights and you have all these things uh locked down uh, that's one of the things where there's actually a lot of overlap uh, with right. uh, with clean energy and oil because it turns out that you like this has happened where someone yeah. will buy a lease for farmland and not buy the rights to the subsurface mineral rights. And then someone will come in and start mining that property right underneath literally like lateral boring underneath uh, a renewable energy array under a wind or, or a solar plant and a farmer's happy as uh happy as anything if they can get oh yeah for sure <laughs> they can get double double profit off of that site because the pro- solar developer didn't think about it well that's something where an oil and gas guy is going to naturally like that's where they're first going to go is like do you have all of the rights uh and this is where i think that honestly someone in oil and gas has a leg up in almost always to 
someone who has just been classically trained in real estate development and trying to get into um, renewables. And I see this predominantly going back to our friend Brian Scott with folks that have been trained in Alberta as natural gas land guys, right? Or, or shale land guys, because they under, and I'll say gals and guys, guys and gals, but there's like a literal university tract for being an oil and gas land person, right? My friend Jarrett Lineweber went through this program in Alberta and he is like professionally works for TransCanada now, right? He's a professional land guy for projects. It's a whole category that we haven't really even trans, uh, transferred that skill to renewables in a, in a meaningful way yet. Unitization manager. I still don't quite understand what unitization means. This is why whenever I, I wrap up a project, I always send it along to the client for review. So based off of my research, obviously, I have never done unitization. I have never, you know, personally done it. So I have to base it all off of research. And then they give me feedback on if that's the right direction, if they see a different, you know, and so I'm assessing my research with their feedback and then also with the job descriptions. So there's kind of three different, there's like a trifecta of, <laughs> of kind of feedback that I'm looking for to make sure that things align. Yeah. I'm looking it up now just because I'm a geek like yeah. that. I suppose, but unitizing I never heard the of that before. Legal, yeah. legal things. Yeah. And well, unitizing uh, the lesser's interest. No, it's not the same as pooling. There's like... There's more than a thousand results for the word unitization and oil and gas when I search it. So this is a great example, however, of the the intense difference of vernacular. It's one key and wonderful example of the difference in vernacular and why it matters if you are serious about a career transition that you seek out someone like Amanda who can help you and advocate for you on that research side, that you work with us on the coaching side to make sure that not only you have a peer group that can look at how you're positioning yourself, but that you can leverage the tools and the 15 years of experience that my team has in renewables and our, our uh, mentors like Amanda have in product creation, document creation. You know, it's the time of year where folks start moving around from business to business, job to job, career transition is at its peak. And it's often a time where folks look to someone else to help organize their thoughts and guide their principles. I've spent the last 15 years in renewables. I've spent the last five years coaching founders and startup executives in this space specifically. And for the last year, I've been helping folks transition out of oil and gas and other industries into renewables. And I've found that there are a few things that are commonalities. And I'd like to invite you, if that sounds like something you're interested in, to have a conversation with me about whether or not coaching might be in your future and working with me might be something that would help level up your business or your personal career path. You can fill out an application over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the work with me button in the very top right. And everyone who fills out an application, I'm going to set up a 15 minute clarity call. So I'd invite you to run, fill that out. If this sounds remotely interesting to you and let's have a chat, see if there is in fact a fit I look forward to chatting soon. Thank you so much for tuning into Suncast. Let me know if I can help you in other ways. Amanda, getting back to the the topic at hand, which is ensuring that someone has, you know, a document that represents their end goal. Would you have a few key, maybe we'll call it hacks or tips to make sure that the resume is aligned and effective for someone who's looking to cross over to a new industry? Yeah. So there are some best practices that I apply based off of chatting with tons of recruiters uh, in the energy sectors. And usually what I do is I make sure that all of my content is spoon feeding <laughs> the, the person reading it, right? You want to make it as easy as possible for them to understand what your goal is and why you're good at it. So a very direct heading at the top with the target that you're shooting for, right? And then you want to, if you're a career changer, what I do is I do tons of research on the top three competencies that job descriptions tell me are the most, the highest priority, right? So maybe that's due diligence, cost controls, and operations management. Well, then I'm going to line up those three competencies and have proven results of what my client has done in those three competencies. So what you're doing is you're showing alignment right off the bat. And the top fourth of the resume, you're convincing a recruiter or a hiring manager right off the bat why you're the perfect fit. And that's going to make them want to go 
to your work experience and see what you've done. But that's much better than if you're trying to shift to clean energy, that's much better than starting out with your work experience and then seeing right off the bat that you were with National Oil of Arco, <laughs> right? All right, so, or Schlumberger. So what you're doing is you're kind of, you're mitigating some of the more dicey parts of, of what they might see as, as an issue. And you're showing them right off the bat that you are the right fit and here's why based off of your own requirements, right? Based off of the job descriptions that you guys are putting out, here's why I'm the best fit. So that's really, it's a very direct, succinct hack. And I, I use it on all of my resumes. And I think that's why my clients get hired so, so often. Amanda, thanks for sharing that hack. And for those who want more hacks, obviously, uh, either join our program with, with Amanda as your mentor or engage Amanda directly. Um, we'll share more about that at the end for how you can do both of those things. Amanda, you mentioned that one of the failures, one of the key failures for folks is a failure to research. What are some of the better resources? And we'll focus in particular here for folks that are in the energy sector and they're trying to get more information about a job transition or career transition, where have you found uh, good resources for folks like that? Yeah, so there are two different levels to this. And the first level is doing research on the actual renewables industry, right? So one person that I have chatted with extensively who you know knows a lot about this is actually Elizabeth Cambray. Um, and she has worked with Shell and she's transitioned into a lot of the middle space between oil, gas and the renewable sector. And she's been a huge voice for uh, chatting about exactly what it looks like to make the transition and what things are transferable kind of in that middle space that a lot of people don't talk about or think about. And happy to provide her information because she is a wealth of knowledge. That'd be great if we could get her on. That'd be fun. That would be. I think she would be the perfect fit for this. Fantastic. And the second level to this is looking at what recruiters are putting out in the specific industry that you are looking to get hired in, right? So just any recruiter will not do. Have to look up recruiters who are specifically hiring in the renewable sector and for specific roles that you are wanting to pursue. And I, I really want to stress this. All recruiters are not the same and they are not there to find you a job. They are not there to find you a job. <laughs> I want to repeat that. They are not your personal job search consultants. They are there to hire for the company. Their, their clients are the company that they are hiring for. So whenever you approach a recruiter, you may think they're ghosting you, but that's because they're not there to help you get hired. <laughs> they are there to fulfill a position that they have been hired to fill for a company. So with that in mind, you have to reach out to recruiters with the idea that you have to prove to them exactly your alignment for that position, right? So if they have a YouTube channel, if they have you know a blog, something like that, pick up on all of those tips they are giving you. There are so many recruiters that give you know free external advice on exactly how to reach out to them how to best practices, what do you include in a cold email, they will tell you. <laughs> so many of them, Amazon recruiters, Microsoft, so many of them have blogs and postings and are active on LinkedIn. They will tell you exactly what they want to hear and how to reach out to them. But I guarantee you 90% of people will not do what they ask. You will set, your, set yourself apart by listening and by doing research, by watching all their videos, reading all their posts, commenting on their, you know, on their posts, getting engaged so that they see you as more than just a job candidate. They see you as a thought leader. They see you as someone who wants to actively engage. This is a really important part of the research stage as well. It's not just reading and reading and reading and sitting in a dark corner. It is engaging meaningfully with people. And you're not, you're not going to learn what it's really like to work in this new industry unless you talk to people. Unless you talk to people who have done it and do informational interviews and be very genuine and honest about your journey. That doesn't mean that you send along three paragraphs of details about yourself. That yeah. means that, again, you research the person first. Yeah. You ask them about themselves. You let them know you've done research on them by showing you know their specializations. You're impressed with their accomplishments. And only then do you talk about yourself. Do not launch into uh, an outreach 
uh, attempt saying, here's a little bit about myself. Please don't ever do that, guys. This is a really, really important tip whenever you're trying to network or during the research stage. It's super important to think of it almost like you're at a networking event. You would just toss business cards at people. You would stick out your hand and be like, hi, I'm so-and-so. What do you do? You wouldn't say, here's what I do. You'd say, what do you do? I, I harp on it a little bit because it's it's so easy with the LinkedIn platform for people to just blitz uh, their connections with, you know, here's my resume with no context, no details, just, again, spraying and praying and then thinking that it's an effective job strategy. And it's not. You'll actually frustrate people. They will stop responding to you if you do this. So stop. <laughs> I want to give a quick, uh, just a quick summary of what Amanda just said, because it ties so well to how we work with our, with, with folks. And I mean, how I constantly from this platform and others am encouraging folks to think about the job search. Your advice in particular around informational interviews, uh, I want to give just a quick uh, example anecdotally of someone who I had uh, set up with uh, several informational informational interviews and they came back really dejected. And I said, well, tell me about the, the calls. And they mistakenly looked at these calls as interviews rather than informational opportunities to learn. And what happens there because the person, let's call it like the senior person in clean energy that I've connected them with is genuinely curious and wants to know how they can help the first question out of their mouths because you, the subject who's asking for the informational interview, want to be different. You let them ask the first question wrong. Number one, that's wrong. Their first question is, well, what are your goals? Boom. You're stuck right now in a defensive mode from the very beginning, trying to justify why you're on the phone with them, right? And you don't know what your goals are, which is why you're in an informational interview, so hack number one is don't ever let the person that you're jumping on the phone with start the conversation by trying to find out more about you. That's not why they're on the phone. You're on the phone with them. If you've, get, if you've been lucky enough to gain an informational interview because Amanda set you up with one, you need to jump in taking charge with the end in mind. And the goal of that call is to understand what that person's job is and how they arrived there. And if they, at the, in the end, start asking you questions and, now, and you've satiated your desire to understand their job, then you could say, hey, look, I don't want to be a burden on you. I'm still trying to figure out where I want to go with this. I wanted to learn more about what you wanted, what you are doing. Like if this is how you can redirect it as well. Could you give me just a, a five minute version of what your key roles and responsibilities are as chief information officer for such and such company and start start there. But like go into that call with three or four really good questions that will help you glean an answer to what they do and whether that's something that seems like a role you'd be interested in or a person you'd be interested in working for. Because it's either you're talking to someone who has a parallel role, so you can understand if that's something you want to do, or someone who is the boss of the kind of person you want to be or role that you want to be working out. And they can tell you whether or not your skills are a fit. So uh, I look at those calls as an opportunity to A, learn what they're doing, and B, present them with what you think are transferable skills like unitization and say, I don't really know how to translate this into what you do. Can you help me with that? Like go in with one good question like that. How do you transfer or how do you, how do you actually translate these skills into value for them? And I can promise you, if you don't, if you don't see that call as the opportunity to answer five questions, but rather one, and now you have five calls to answer each of those five questions, rather than one call that you burn out, you burn that bridge because you just wore this person out, you're going to have some success. Hey, Amanda, I don't want to abuse your time, but I do want to take advantage of uh, five more minutes of your time to really glean where I see you've also established yourself as an expert. You blew me away can candidly when I, uh, thinking with 20 almost 25,000 followers I've, that I'm doing well on LinkedIn when I, you said that you get 9,000 views a day or a month maybe on your on your LinkedIn profile, which is uh, unfathomable for many of those <laughs> listeners, for folks listening right now. Help me understand how you have modified your understanding of and usage of LinkedIn in particular in 2020 through the pandemic. Well, I do first want to give a shout out to Justin Welsh who uh, he's a thought leader in the sales sector, SAS, uh, you know, sales. He, he's 
awesome. He's always posting, you know, fun little tidbits and very honest about his, his own business process. I actually purchased a LinkedIn course from him, which is extremely direct, extremely brief. And I followed it to the letter and I grew from 2,500. I think I started at 2,500 to now I have almost 20,000 since the summer. And this is really only relevant. I, I think that a lot of people out there may not necessarily have this same structure to their LinkedIn. But for me, uh, I know that I am in a position where I need to figure out my niche as being, you know, people who may need my services, right? So that's one of the first things I'm identifying my niche. I'm identifying the types of people who might need my assistance. And then I am creating a targeted uh, branded message and image that aligns with that. You think through all of the content that you post has to be aligned with the people who are in your network, right? It has to be what they want to hear. Because honestly, I've done a couple test runs of posts that are more aligned with what a lot of the the big name resume writer industry thought leaders do, and it doesn't it doesn't fly because. I'm much more direct and honest <laughs> in my in my delivery. Uh, many of theirs are, you know, use your data and accomplishments. Period. <laughs> you know, it's it's just very fluffy, right? It's it's fluff. It's like not they're not giving you direct, actionable ways that you can do these things. So I figured out through a little bit of trial and error, uh, posting every single day. Engagement is huge. You got to listen to what your audience is asking for. Tweak is necessary. Make sure your persona is on target for who your audience is and build out every single element of your LinkedIn profile to align with that target. Now, so every single thing I have, all of my branding is the same across my website, across my LinkedIn, across my, everything aligns. Even down to my email signature, it is the exact same profile photo. So I guess if you want to talk about it, it's branding, right? And then you're creating content that aligns with what you, you know what you do best, and you know cannibalizing some of the content you put out so that you're not having to come up with you know brilliance every single day, uh, pulling anecdotes from actual experiences. You said something that you surprised that surprised me. That was tactical. You said that you stopped using polls. I stopped using polls. And the reason for that is because I was limiting myself based off of the poll on what content I was going to produce each week. So the poll was yeah. intended for LinkedIn users, you know, people who were following me to tell me what they were most interested in. But I was only able to give them four options. So yeah. if they were more interested in other stuff, then, you know. And I was, well, I was realizing, you? yeah, go ahead. So how did you start finding the other things that were not poll related perhaps? How did, what, 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 what began to work and resonate? I was researching a ton. Uh, I was seeing what everyone was talking about. I was on LinkedIn multiple times a day. Like, here's what they're writing about in E&E and Utility Dive. And here I'm going to tweak it. Is that kind of research or more like sociograph research? More like talking to tons of recruiters. Ah, okay. <laughs> Yep. Because that was the number one thing that everyone in my, my, uh, my network was talking about. I'm getting ghosted by recruiters. Recruiters aren't calling me back. And I said, okay, I'm seeing this a ton on my wall. Tons of people are saying they can't find jobs. They're getting ghosted, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So what's the issue here? Started reaching out to recruiters, asking them, Hey, what's going on? (laughs) Because I'm in a position where I can talk to recruiters, right? They will, they will call me back. <laughs> they will talk to me. They, will, they want to talk to me. Whereas job seekers are on the other side of that. So I kind of, what I do a lot is play middle, middle woman <laughs> and figure out how I can get answers for people. If I see a lot of this is happening, it's frustrating me, what's going on, then I'll try to figure out an answer for them or pull in someone. I'll tag someone that I know who can give an answer to them. You're such a giver in that way. I've seen you do that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough industry. Do you see any other platforms working like Reddit or Quora? Sure, but they're so, it's not the same kind of social networking platform. No, I mean, you can go down the rabbit hole on those and those are fine, but you also get a lot of, <laughs> eh, you can go down too far on the rabbit hole sometimes. Totally. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's great to research though. 
Yeah, I asked because I think that one it's one of the missed opportunities for content creators and it's a great hack is to look at what people are talking about on those on those platforms and then cross-pollinate to LinkedIn because there's just not a lot of cross-pollination. So there's a little tip tip for folks who are savvy and listening. Uh, there's a little content creation hack for you. Um, another one that I think in 2020 gained a lot more visibility than uh, than folks expected. LinkedIn introduced hashtags, God, 2016, 2017. And folks were like, who cares? This is not Facebook. This is not IG, no hashtag. And then in 2020, we started realizing like, hey, wait a minute. I've been using hashtag like it or not. And nobody cares because I'm not, we don't need to be funny like we do on Instagram. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but if I use hashtag innovation or sustainability or energy, now I'm able to all of a sudden find people 4 million plus that are following a hashtag. What are the hashtags that you've seen trending for folks in energy broadly, oil and gas, clean energy? What do you see working? The top ones I use are energy, energy strong, and oil gas. All one word, oil gas. There are other ones, oil and gas industry, but that has, I think, I think that one has like 20,000, whereas oil gas yeah. has like millions. <laughs> um, and energy, so, like, I think energy by itself is more than 4 million at this yes. point. Energy strong is 4 million. That's the one you told me about that. I was like, wait a minute, I never heard of this. Yep. Energy strong is a great reverse engineering hack, right? It's like, wait a minute. Well, what is the oil and gas industry trending for hashtags? And energy strong is one that's been adopted by the oil and gas industry. Yep. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's always different ways of, you know, and, and again, this comes down to research, right? So type in hashtag drilling or hashtag whatever, and you'll be able to see how many are following that hashtag. So yeah, and I, I always tell people like, don't try to be cute. I see so even big name industry people who sometimes are trying to create their own hashtag, they're trying to get traction off a hashtag, so they'll use it. But there's so many that I see that use cutesy hashtags and I click on it and there's only like 20 people following it. Don't do this. You're wasting your time. Find the ones that have the most jobs, careers, job seekers, you know, resumes, all these different hashtags that actually have people following it. Yeah. Well, there's a, you know, we've got a ton of resources in our, in our program and in our private community about specifically how to use LinkedIn. And, and one in particular is a research report that shows um, that somewhere around five or six hashtags is, is kind of the right number right now. Yeah. I use three. I don't go over yeah, three. Well, well, yeah. Beginning of 2020, the common assumption was three. What's interesting, and I mentioned this to you back in the fall when I interviewed Andy Foote, who is another, we've got a great LinkedIn uh, episode with Andy and his blog is fantastic. He writes like maybe four or five blog posts a year and they're all just gold. I mean, they're all just absolute gold. Everyone should be read and, and reread. And that's why he only writes like five a year, right? Um, but he's a major, major, major follower of everything on LinkedIn. It's how he makes a living. Andy Foote, F-O-O-T-E. You can, you can find it. We'll link to that episode in, in the show notes as well he in our interview was like, Hey, yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been watching these other influencers that he watches and he said, they're, they're now starting to post with six hashtags. And so uh, myself and I think Brian and a few others now have started posting, uh, my friend, Brian or Billy Samoa, um, he started using six as well. So I'm interested to see if this migration, uh, it kind of, you kind of follow, like watch what, uh, Andy and, uh, and Billy and a few others who are in that that upper echelon and this guy, Justin Welsh, I'm assuming as well, probably in his, in his class, I'm sure he says three hashtags. So uh, he, well, and he was just talking about using the ones who have the most following. I was just realizing uh, based off of my own experience was that the more hashtags that I added, the less traction I was getting. I've heard it explained elsewhere that there's a certain number of hashtags that are archived and then the rest go to search functionality outside of LinkedIn. So you want your most important ones at the front. That's right. We know that the first three that you use get into the URL. Yep. So if you only use three, then they're in the URL. If you use more than three, they're not in the URL, but the ones in the URL not only get searched from LinkedIn, but now they're getting indexed in Google. Right. Yeah. yeah. So helpful all so around. That's super important. Yeah, <laughs> super, super important. Well, speaking of helpful all around, good gracious, Amanda, you've been such an amazing resource for our solar warriors, uh, our Suncast tribe is eternally grateful for this advice. And I look forward to the, the conversations on LinkedIn. There's an invitation always in the outro for folks to connect with us on LinkedIn. And we'll have your 
uh, your contact details in the show notes. Of course, any parting thoughts or wisdom or any particular ask, you've got the Suncast the Tribe listening. Uh, stay strong out there, guys. Uh, I know Energy it's tough. Strong. Yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, wh- whatever you want to say, right? Just just keep hustling and stay strong. The, the issue is not you. The issue is this is this market. Whenever hundreds of people are applying for job positions, you know, sometimes thousands to to specific job positions, the issue is not you, right? So, keep your hustle strong, keep your network strong, build your network and network smart. Do not spray and pray. Network smart and get your materials targeted. That's it. (laughs) All right, Solar Warriors, that's a wrap on today's conversation. But you know, the fun does not stop right here. This is a Tactical Tuesday, so we are all about taking action. And the next action you can take is going on to LinkedIn and finding the post that Amanda and I have created about this episode. And you can share it with someone that you know who is struggling to find a job right now. Maybe they need help. Maybe they need Amanda to look over their resume. Maybe that's you. And you would like for Amanda or I to just take a peek behind the curtain for you and see if we can help you with your career transition. If that sounds like you, you can go to mysuncast.com and click on the work with Nico button. Uh, I set up a 15 minute clarity call for anyone who fills out that coaching application, whether you become a coaching client or not. And we have different one-on-one and group coaching programs that we can can, uh, tailor to specifically helping you with growing your company, growing your career, or nailing down that job transition, just as we have for, for hundreds of others uh, before you. And in Amanda's case, thousands, I would imagine. If you want to enjoy even more content like this, you can find over 350 more episodes, highlights from discussions on so many conversations on Suncast, social media links, book recommendations, and more at mysuncast.com. Of course, that's where I would encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter so that whenever we have offers from friends like Amanda that come across our uh, to our to our tribe, you will be the first to know and you won't miss out. And hey, if you're on Spotify or iTunes, I would just so appreciate you writing a quick review because that's how others can find Suncast more easily. I know that it's been valuable to you because you've stuck around all the way to the end. And I, I mean, it won't really take more than a couple of minutes. I want to give a special shout out and thank you to all of you who have rated and reviewed the show. You have helped us stay strong for five plus years and 350 plus episodes. I also want to shout out our sponsors. You can find out more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also where if you would like to figure out how you can help reach thousands of Suncast solar warriors with your message, you can partner with us as well. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. Kia, Solar Warrior!